Hi, this is Brent from Burgundy Blog. And before I record this week eight blogcast to discuss the Redskins victory over the Giants, I wanted to take my little uh, opportunity here to say a few words about Rich Tandler, longtime Redskins blogger, most recently with NBC Sports Washington, who passed away, I think, 11 days ago now. But I didn't do a podcast last week and I didn't have an opportunity to say my piece. If you're listening to this right now, you certainly listen to all the biggest and best Redskins stuff out there, and that included Rich's stuff for sure, so you definitely know who I'm talking about. And you've certainly already heard scores of touching tributes to Rich by colleagues, players, and his avid fans and followers. Rich died unexpectedly at the age of 63 while he was undoubtedly at the very top of his game. And I think that's why his passing was not only, of course, very sad, but also shocking to many of us. First, I want to personally express my sincere condolences to all of his friends and family. But from a personal standpoint, I want to explain that although I never did meet Rich in person, I honestly considered him a friend through Twitter. And not only was he an incredibly hardworking and reliable Redskins blogger and beat reporter, but as far as I could tell, he was also just a hell of a decent guy. And I wanted to be known widely that when Burgundy Blog was just barely even a thing in 2010, when it had just started, and in fact, if you're one of the few who's been with me that long, you may recall that in its initial iteration, Burgundy Blog was actually called Brooding Burgundy. Well, at that time, when it was literally nothing with zero clicks and zero followers, and I was still learning what a blog even was, Rich, who had long since become semi-famous in the DMV sports media scene for his respected Real Redskins blog, not only showed me the time of day, but actually encouraged me, interacted with me regularly on Twitter and gave me pointers, and of course, always lots of sharp Redskins debate and discussion. And my ongoing dialogue on Twitter with Rich Tandler was honestly one of the big things that made me like it and like blogging and stick with it and want to keep doing it and, and to consider its advantages and potential. In fact, I remember specifically when I was initially thinking about changing the name of the blog from Brooding Burgundy to Burgundy Blog, because, you know, Brooding Burgundy is so dumb. And at that point, you know, a few people kind of knew what, what the blog was. So there was maybe the first little inkling of a brand that I was, I guess, trying to cultivate and protect. Rich actually told me, you know what? I don't think you should do this. But if you do it, you do it once and only once. And I think that was probably smart. And I did go for it. I changed it to Burgundy Blog, which is why you're now listening to the Burgundy Blogcast and not the broodingly broodcast. But man, Rich was just wise and smart and good and great, actually. He's, he's an all-time Redskins blogger and blogger period in my book. And there's a big void in this Redskins internet scene right now without him. But I know his guys at NBC Sports Washington, JP and Pete and Mitch are going to continue to do a terrific job without him, even as they really miss their dear friend. So Rich, if you're still listening to podcasts up in heaven... And if this one makes the cut, I hope you'll hear me say thank you very much. I'm very glad to have sort of known you, and I truly hope you rest in peace.
What's up? It's your boy Brent. Here comes your blogcast for Sunday, October 28th, and the Week 8 win by the Redskins over the Giants at the Meadowlands. All hail Adrian Peterson. There are many cool storylines in this game, and there are many at this point in the season for the Redskins, who are a somewhat unexpected 5-2, but the top billing definitely goes to AP, or AD, or whatever the heck you want to call him. Just don't call him a normal human, because he isn't one. Even before his unbelievable game-sealing 64-yard touchdown near the end, at which point he was still averaging less than 4 yards per carry. Even then, and truly in 5 of the 7 games so far this season. He has looked, at the ripe old age of 33, absolutely dynamite. At this point, many, many stories about him in 2018 have already been written and many tweets composed. But it is not hype, and these are not exaggerated. He's definitely not just piling up numbers in garbage time. Well, geez, we know that. The Redskins can't do anything in the fourth quarter until tonight. And he's definitely not just feeding off of huge holes and opportunities provided by the Redskins' offensive line, although they are indeed, obviously, a big part of his success. He is definitely finding holes that average backs don't see, and he is breaking tackles that average backs cannot shed. He still clearly has very good acceleration, straight line long speed, lateral agility, and of course power. You can see it on his long runs, you can see it on his short runs, you can see it when he turns negative one into three, and when he turns three into eight, which is why the Redskins are in such better shape on second and third down now than they were last year, and which is why they're converting so many more of those third downs now. I think Alex Smith has a little something to do with that too, but Adrian Peterson is doing so much more than we could have hoped for him to be doing on the field. Frankly, he's doing a lot more than we could have even, or should have, really been hoping for Darius Geis to do in his rookie season, if he was, if he was the, the lead back right now. He has done so much more than just soften the blow of that injury, and there are now far too many stories and interviews and rumors and legends floating around about the impact that he's had on his teammates in terms of their attitude and dedication and determination and confidence and focus and professionalism. For me to think that that's just Kool-Aid, it is readily apparent at this point that the other running backs on the team and the offensive linemen and the quarterback and the coach, having seen his production on the field and his discipline in practice and in the locker room and having already in less than half a season fought through two or three very severe injuries to just grind and grind some more. It is very obvious that they not only trust him, but that they are leaning on him. That this guy who's very signing, who's very Redskins tenure is basically an accident, which appears to have been totally conditional not only on Geis's freak injury, but also on like basically a dartboard roulette wheel invitation to a tryout. And then an impulse purchase vet minimum one-year contract immediately and unexpectedly after the tryout. Like that giant Twix bar you toss on top of your groceries while you're waiting for the cashier. Adrian Peterson has gone from a flyer to a linchpin. I think because of all that I just said and more, both on and off the field, he's as impactful an individual redskin as we've seen in recent memory. I mean, years, 10 years, I don't know. It's it's hard to say, but I think his presence, his, his contributions and participation have changed this team more than even the big money QB that they traded for, and maybe even as much or more than these two Nick Saban prodigies lining up on the other side of the ball. Today after the game, Jay Gruden said of Adrian Peterson, he bounced back after the fumble 
and you just have to keep feeding a guy like that, dot, 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 to be able to rely on a guy like that in that situation is critical for the success of this football team. He is 100% right. I don't think I'm teaching you anything here. Most of you have already observed this. He's in, he is critical, integral, necessary, mandatory for the success of this team. And in late August, he was just a brainstormed name on a dry erase board. It is wackadoo. This is wild. This, this story is really interesting. And it, along with what's happening on the D-line, are definitely the two juiciest and most gratifying Redskins-related topics right now that are making me glad I did not prematurely retire, at least yet. Honestly, watching that long touchdown run was just exhilarating. And we haven't had a lot of those moments. In fact, although the circumstances, of course, were very different and the X's and O's of the play were not exactly the same, it reminded me a little bit of at least the feeling I had when Clinton Portis had that long touchdown run on his first carry. I do know and acknowledge that some fans have trouble rooting hard for Adrian Peterson because of the things known publicly about his child abuse charges several years ago, and I will not presume to tell you how to interpret those. But from a football standpoint, he is compelling and magnetic, and he is just propelling the entire roster and staff right now. The Redskins had seven sacks today. Two and a half by Ioannidis, one and a half by Kerrigan, one by Payne, one by Josh Harvey, and one by John Allen. Now, this is what Eli does. Eli gets sacked because he's a statue and because his offensive line is a disaster. So surely anything less than three or four for the Redskins' front seven would probably have been disappointing. But seven sacks is awesome. And Ioannidis was awesome. And these guys, it's just really, even more than that, than any individual effort, they're playing so well together and gelling so well and really just rising to the occasions for Jim Tomsula. They've now, in consecutive weeks, as pointed out by my guy Michael Phillips with the Richmond Times-Dispatch on Twitter, held McCaffrey, Elliott, and Barkley to less than a combined 100 yards rushing. That, of course, is not merely good. That is excellent. And when juxtaposed with recent Redskins history in terms of ability or inability to stop the run, it's not merely excellent. It's almost unimaginable. I think John Allen, Deron Payne, and Matt Ioannidis have triple-handedly transformed this Redskins defense from a joke into a force. Yesterday, in other words, before this game, uh, I became aware that DJ Swearinger was currently, or at the time, ranked by Pro Football Focus as the number one safety in the NFL. And I noted that in a simple tweet, which many of you apparently liked and agreed with because it got over a thousand likes on Twitter, including apparently one by DJ himself. Then, today, he goes out and records two more interceptions, an awesome goal line pass breakup, at least one key first down saving tackle. That one was in the first quarter. And again, he was apparently not responsible for any big chunk yardage plays. Now, DJ Swearinger was basically an immediate fan favorite when he came to the Redskins because, number one, he was a safety, and at that point, we were still so thirsty for even a competent mid-level safety that we just wanted him and almost willed him into becoming a star. And furthermore, he made it very clear that he was a Sean Taylor disciple, 
and it became known that he is a trash-talking, enthusiastic, vocal locker room leader. So he got very popular, and I think his reputation outpaced by a little bit his production. I mean, he was, he was good last year. He was a good signing for the Redskins in his first year. But I, I thought maybe not quite as reliable or impactful as he was sometimes made out to be. Well, this year, that's out the window. He's been unbelievably impactful. They've only played seven games, and he's got four picks, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. Also, the Redskins haven't lost since he started taping his face mask like Sean T in games. I certainly suspect you'll see DJ at the top of PFF's list again this week. And at this point, it's becoming more and more likely that you're also going to see him as an eventual pro bowler and maybe even an all-pro. That is something that I did not see coming, but it is real. Josh Norman had a pretty nice game and uh, I think contributed significantly to Odell Beckham being fairly quiet, um, or at least not making any big plays until the end when it was already too late. But, geez, dude. After Peterson's second touchdown pushed the Redskins' lead to 14, Norman did have a golden opportunity to pick off another horrible Eli pass and just literally seal the thing. And he had to jump pretty high for it, but he was all alone, and he had both hands on it, and he just dropped it. Again, this really shouldn't overshadow the fact that he did have a good day and was a big factor in uh, holding a really, really very ultra-talented group of skill position guys to fairly pedestrian numbers and overall low impact. But Josh, if you want to stay a star, you gotta make a couple more of these picks, buddy. None of us love Redskins left guard Sean Laval because he's just not a great player and he gets hurt a lot. And he tends to lead the team almost every game in uh, pressures or QB hurries allowed. So I'm certainly not here to defend his pass protection skills, but as previously established, the Redskins are, are definitely a run-first, ground-and-pound sort of team right now, and I'd like to try and make sure everybody does give Sean Laval some credit for being a good run blocker. And when he's in the lineup for these past couple games, allowing Chase Roulier to stay at center and Tony Bergstrom to stay on the bench, this situation is a nice table setting for Adrian Peterson. So, Sean, here I am throwing you a bone. You're still a pretty good run blocker. You may have noticed that after holding out for what I considered a pretty long time and being very patient with him, and maybe, if I'm being honest, talking myself into it a little bit, I finally started to write off Josh Doxson a few weeks ago because, well, a month and a half into the supposedly key defining third year of his wide receiver career, it really seemed like he still just wasn't getting it and wasn't doing much of anything. But Doxon is another familiar whipping boy who deserves a little bit of credit for what he's done recently, because even though he's really not scoring or putting up big numbers, it is certainly tr- true that he's making tough catches. Today he had five for 49, but those five came on five targets. And that right there is a very encouraging and previously atypical Josh Doxon kind of thing, because my biggest beef about him really has been failing to turn snaps and targets into production. And a big component of that is just a super low catch rate historically. But today, catch rate of 100%. Way to go, Josh Doxon. I think he's earning Alex Smith's trust. He also continues to block very effectively, which is going to earn Gruden's trust. 
And there may yet be a small chance that he's still going to have a big game or two this season. Jordan Reed has been way too small a part of the offense recently for his talent. And I think it's pretty clear that Gruden knew that. And I really liked that today on the first play of the game, they went right to him. And then he had another catch a couple plays after that. And although he only ended up with 38 yards today, he did have seven catches. and. Several of them were important, including a handful of first down conversions. I don't really need to see him filling up the stat sheet with tons of yards and touchdowns, but I do like that he's getting catches now and forcing defenses to respect him. I think that's important for the running backs and for the wide receivers, if nothing else. Greg Stroman drew my ire last week in the Cowboys game when he got smoked on that double move by fellow rookie Michael Gallup for a long touchdown. And look, Greg Stroman was a seventh round rookie. It's not to say he doesn't have potential and couldn't turn out to be a really good player, but nobody was really expecting him to be able to contribute much on defense as a rookie. So Stroman being the team's third corner, ostensibly, while Quentin Dunbar goes through this mysterious shin nerve injury, I think is an area of pretty significant concern. And I tweeted something about that last week, actually suggesting that I think the Redskins need to hurry up and figure out whether Dunbar is coming back or not, and how soon, and, and how soon will he be effective. In fact, prior to the trade deadline, which is Tuesday, because if he's going to be out, they need to upgrade. So Stroman played a lot today in Dunbar's absence again, and he did give up a few plays, although none anywhere near as egregious as the touchdown um, against the Cowboys. But Stroman did a few good things today, and I, I think that, I'm not even sure how to articulate this, there's something about Stroman that I like. I'm not really certain yet that it's okay for a team with playoff aspirations to have him as their boundary corner in nickel situations. But I like, for example, that even after he got kind of whipped by Sterling Shepard today, he did make that really nice like strip play from behind to force the incompletion. I also really like that for a guy whose like, one big drawback was supposed to be that he's, well, small and just light and kind of wiry, he absolutely laid the lumber last week on uh, Dak Prescott, and then again today on Saquon Barkley, who's much bigger. And that came on a play where Barkley got a first down, and I don't think it's going to get much attention, but uh, Stroman Stroman can hit, and I like that. And then also, I think that there's just something going on with him where the coaches clearly see something, because they're putting him in, in positions of pretty significant trust for his degree of experience and polish which is low and i remember they did this with quentin dunbar in really his first year playing much but do you recall those games where they had him lined up one-on-one in man with uh beckham actually and and with des and we were all like wow what are you doing holy cow but he held his own and today stroman was one-on-one with odell beckham jr one of the best receivers in the game several times and yeah um you know beckham kind of posterized him on one where Stroman had a huge cushion on third and 17, and Beckham whipped him anyway. And then Stroman fouled him, but Beckham still made an unbelievable catch anyway. But there's just something there. I can tell that the coaches like him and have high hopes for him because they're throwing him out there into the fire. And I like that he can hit, and I like that in these two games where he's had kind of big mistakes, well, of course, he got flambéed in New Orleans once also. But all these times, he, he's got that corner mentality that you want, where he's got a short memory, 
and he bounces back. I think he's physically tough and mentally tough, even if he still needs to put some muscle on. And so hopefully there's something to work with there with Greg Stroman. Kudos to head coach Jay Gruden for this three-game winning streak. Yes, they're still struggling on offense in the second half of basically every game. And yes, these three margins of victory here recently have been small. Um, None greater than a touchdown. But it sure seems that Jay has uh, correctly identified his team's strengths and weaknesses and figured out how to do it. What's the recipe? That is to say, specifically, they need to win the turnover battle, and they did again today, 2-1. to one, And they need to win the time of possession battle, and they did again today, almost 34 minutes to 26 minutes. Alex Smith, who I'm not going to devote too much time to specifically on this episode, clearly is not lighting the world on fire with yards or touchdowns. But the combination of Jay plus Alex sure seems to be figuring out how to function together. And one thing that I really like about Alex as much as anything else, in fact, is that he clearly does not give one little shit about his own numbers as long as the Redskins win. And guess what? They're winning. So this week is not going to be the week I decide to pick to rip Alex Smith. And Jay, I see you. Good work. The Giants are obviously kind of a disaster and out of the running, but the Cowboys do have a good defense, and whether or not Amari Cooper makes any difference, they do still have Zeke Elliott, so you can't quite write them off. And I think the Eagles are probably starting to figure things out as they beat the Jaguars on the road today, the reeling Jaguars, on the road uh, to even out their record, I believe, at 4-4. Four and four. I don't think the NFC East is going to be a cakewalk. But there is not another game on the Redskins 2018 schedule that I don't think they have a a pretty decent chance of winning. Check it out. I don't know if you've done the math, but they only need to go 5-4 and in their remaining nine games to get the magic 10 wins. And if you take a look through the schedule, 5-4 and is super doable, meaning that 11 wins actually is not out of the question. I'm thinking many of you probably aren't quite ready to uh, embrace that idea, but yeah, this season's got some intrigue. And I welcome it. Will the Redskins make a move in the next 48 hours before the trade deadline to strengthen their roster for a playoff push? I think clearly the odds are at least somewhat against it, but I don't think it's impossible because I do think that they probably think, and by they I mean front office types, the people whose decisions matter, I do think they probably think that they're a good team in the grand scheme of things in 2018 and that they can potentially make a little noise in January. So if something presents itself, uh, I don't think they'd rule it out. And they've got plenty of picks next year to work with. And I'd say the two positions that, that they would be most likely to consider making a move for would be corner and wide receiver. And receiver especially, considering that, that Gruden himself uh, explicitly mentioned that as a possibility in a recent presser. Personally, I kind of feel like maybe upgrading or at least uh, building your depth at corner might be a little more pressing right now. But as I mentioned with regard to Stroman, I kind of have the sense that they don't really hate what they've got, even behind Dunbar, if he's still hurt for a little while. As for receivers, maybe it would be nice to add one, but we all know they tend to take a little while to sort of develop some chemistry and, and really click with a new team and a new quarterback. So it's dicey adding a guy right smack dab in the middle of the season. We've already seen that Smith, for example, has kind of struggled in terms of his chemistry with some of his pass catchers 
who were out uh, for large chunks of the summer on preseason, including Jordan Reed. But what if the Redskins could bring back a guy who maybe hasn't played recently with Alex Smith, but but who certainly knows Jay and knows his system, like, for example, a Deshaun Jackson or a Pierre Garçon, both of whom apparently are available, or at least rumored to be either available or amenable. I think maybe Garçon's contract is a little less palatable because it's pretty expensive even for this year and there's a significant amount of dead cap for next year. But man, doesn't it kind of seem like the Redskins could really use that type of player again? That guy, that that sort of super tough, chain mover, Anquan Bolden kind of guy that, that Garçon really was for Kirk Cousins? I'd welcome him back if the numbers would fit. And I think you could make a good case that Deshaun Jackson would add something to this offense too. I mean, I don't really think he's totally redundant with Richardson. They have some similarities, but let's face it, Richardson was very, very poor man's Deshaun at best. Maybe a homeless man's Deshaun. Anyway, it's not entirely clear exactly how healthy Richardson is either, so I'm just throwing it out there that acquiring a Pierre or a Deshaun is not quite like acquiring another outside receiver guy in the middle of the season. So I'll keep an eye out for him at the deadline. 